Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. We're going to jump into, we are wrapping up our, uh, our study of Colossians, All You Need with Chapter 4. How many of you have enjoyed that, this, this series so far? Have you enjoyed it? Uh, I'm glad. I, I really believe that God is speaking to us and shifting us as a church to do what He's called us to do as a people. Uh, the last three weeks uh, that we've studied, we've looked at the book of Colossians, the last chapters. We looked at who Jesus is, the, the supreme Jesus before all things, His pre-existence, meaning He, he was before all things. He created all things. He rules all things. Uh, we talked about that. And, and we talk about our relationship with Him. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about relationship. And relationship can get messy sometimes. But that's what Jesus desires for us to be, to walk in relationship with Him. Then last week we talked about being bound together. Do you guys remember? Being bound together in love. And I used a little illustration. Do you guys remember the, the giant zipper? Right? So, and uh, I don't know where Jesus' love went, but... Uh, <laughs> There used to be a head here that bound us together. Do you remember? That we are together in love. So I'm going to just lay that there as a visual uh, so you can remember that you and I are the teeth of the zipper. That we are, we are here. So it's not, about, uh, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about us coming together to fulfill the, the will of God in each other's lives. And, 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 and Paul said to put on the new self and, and get rid of the old self because the old self and its sinful desires and its sinful wants is like a little thread that gets in between the zipper that stops us from coming together, right? And everybody, is, everybody has issues with zippers at once in their life, so you can relate. Yeah, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. My zipper always works all the time. Okay, but sometimes there's things that can get in the way of the zipper being able to do what it wants, and that's what happens when we don't love each other, when we're not gracious to one another, we're not forgiving one another, then the enemy can come in and separate what God is trying to put together. And so that's, that's what we've been going into. And the beautiful thing about chapter 4 is that it is a culmination of everything that we've talked about in the first three chapters. Everything boils down to this chapter. And this is, this is Paul's conclusion in this letter. This is Paul's words to us as believers that, uh, that he, he's, he's saying all of those things to say what he's going to say in chapter 4. And now, as I was prepping this message, I was sitting down with my dad and I was talking to him and I was telling him how difficult this chapter is to preach. Because over half of the chapter, Paul is just giving shout outs to people. That's all he's doing. Really, in verses 7 through 17, he's like, hey, what's up? How you doing? Right? That's what he's doing the whole time. He's basically, you know when you're like on a phone call with somebody you haven't talked to in a long time and your family is in the room and they're like, ooh, who are you talking to? Oh, I'm talking to Joaquin. Oh, tell Joaquin I said hi. Right? That's what Paul's doing in the letter the whole time. Like Luke is with him and Luke's like, who are you writing to? The Colossians. Oh, tell the Colossians I said hi. Hey, who, who, who are you talking to? Uh, uh, I'm talking, I'm writing to the Colossians. Uh, Epaphras is like, hey, tell them, hey, tell them I love them. You know, that's the whole, <laughs> that's like half the chapter. So, and then I thought, well, maybe I should just skip over that. But then the Lord spoke to me and said, there's something very important in those verses that I want you to point out to the people. And so we're going to dive into it. This morning. So uh, if you're ready, we're going to begin in, in verse 2. 
But before we jump in, I want to just say one more thing. That uh, in, in the first five verses of this book, of, of this chapter, Paul is, is bringing this powerful conclusion together, and he's reminding of, uh, of this to end with the beginning in mind. Maybe you're sitting there and you said, uh, Pastor, you said that backwards. It's, the saying is to begin with the end in mind. But that's not, that's not what I mean. The reason I, I want you to hold on to something, and I'm going to ask you this question, what does it mean and what does it look like to end with the beginning in mind? How do you end something with the beginning of something else in mind? This is what Paul's going to answer for us as we jump into this. And finally, if you have your Bibles, if you're looking at chapter 4, a lot of Bibles say further instructions on it in this chapter but this is a concluding chapter this is not further this is not continue instructions these are instructions that Paul is saying because of everything else he said now do this you're taught when you're when you're writing an essay or even when you're preaching a message not to introduce new material in the conclusion some of you students in school you know this Right, that you, uh, to write a good letter, to write a good essay, you don't put in new material in your conclusion. That's, the conclusion should be summing everything together. And so Paul is not adding new things into this last chapter. He is saying, in conclusion, for all of this stuff, I'm going to give you some, some, uh, some final things that you need to do. And so he, he begins there in uh, verse 2. He says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That's his first verse that he says to us, really in chapter 4, uh, that, that kind of dives into what, he, what he's trying to teach us. Another way of saying this is, is devote yourselves to prayer and be watchful in it with thanksgiving. In, in, this, in this conclusion of Paul's letter, Paul is really saying, because of everything else I've just mentioned before, devote yourselves to prayer. Because Jesus is fully God and fully man, devote yourselves to prayer. Because Jesus has removed the rules and regulations and seeks relationship with you, devote yourselves to prayer. Because Jesus has given you new life and new clothes to put on, to take off the old man, devote yourselves to prayer. Because Jesus has called you to be bound together in love, devote yourselves to prayer. This is what he's calling us to do as a church, to devote ourselves to prayer, to be watchful with thanksgiving. What does it mean to be devoted? What does it mean to be watchful? What does it mean to be thankful? And why is Paul calling us to be devoted in prayer, I think Paul is making it clear that everything that he said earlier in, in, in three chapters boils down to prayer, the life uh, of prayer in the believer. And so we're going to really jump into that. My question is, why, why did Paul boil everything down to the, to the prayer life of a believer? Why did he say it this way? What is he trying to tell us? I, I think the entire letter of Colossians he wrote to encourage and strengthen the, the Colossian church. He wanted to encourage them to be a, to be a people that followed God and to, that fulfilled the purpose and the mission of God. And, 
and the purpose of the Colossian church is the same purpose we have today. To be the light in dark places. To help people find Jesus. That was their purpose then, and that's our purpose now. Why is that our purpose? Because that was Jesus' purpose. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And he now calls us to be a church that seeks and saves those that are lost. And so Paul is saying to do that, you need to have a prayer life. To be that, you need to devote yourselves to prayer. He gives us three characteristics of an effective prayer life in believers. First one I mentioned, to be devoted. Devoting ourselves to prayer denotes this commitment to prayer come hell or high water. Rain or shine does not matter. What's going on in my life, how I feel, I am committed to prayer. I am devoted. It's, it, it talks about this gritty determination. You know that there was a movie with, uh, was it Clint Eastwood? No. It was somebody, Grit. Do you remember that movie, Grit? That's just like this, like, man, it's just, who is it? True Grit. True Grit. Man, it's even better than just grit. It's true. Uh, and, and it's just like this, this determined, I'm going to do what needs to be done. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to do what it needs to be done. And, and, and we have those things for, for certain things in our life. You know, we have a, a true grit to get things done. And so, uh, so the, the question for you is, are you devoted to prayer with this true grit? That doesn't matter how I feel, doesn't matter what's happening, I'm going to seek God in prayer. Paul's saying, be devoted to God in prayer. He says then, be watchful. Be watchful in prayer. What does being watchful mean? It means you're anticipating something coming. Do you pray like you anticipate something coming? Do you pray that God, when you, when you pray, you're watchful, you're believing that God is sending something your way? Be watchful in prayer. It's an anticipation that God is going to answer the things you're asking for. So when you are devoted to God with a grit determination saying, I don't care what happens in my life, I'm going to seek God in prayer. And then you're watchful saying, God, you're going to answer. I know what's coming. I know that you're bringing the answer to what I need. I know, God, that you're delivering the message that I need. It's this, it's this persistent, vigilant prayer as an ingredient of the church's mission to spread the good news of Jesus Believers, to do that, we have to pray that those who need God would, would find God. Do you, have, do you have family members that don't know Jesus? Paul is saying, your mission is to seek and save that which is lost. How you fulfill the mission is through prayer, having true grit and being watchful. Do you anticipate those who are far from God to come close to God? Do you pray as if their life depended on it? Saying, God, would you save? Would you heal? Would you restore my neighbors, my family, my friends, my coworkers? God, are you going to do something? I believe you are. I believe it's coming. And you keep praying until it does. You keep praying until it, you, you witness it right in front of you. It's being devoted. It's being watchful. Finally, it's being thankful. A thankful prayer expects God's answer. You thank him before the answer ever comes, don't you? That's what Paul's saying, to be thankful. Being thankful for God's answers. But secondly, Paul is saying here, 
when you're praying, don't forget the joy of your salvation when you're seeking the things that are delayed. He's saying, be thankful for the fact that you know Jesus, that you have relationship with Jesus. Because sometimes when you're in prayer, it becomes burdensome. It feels heavy because you don't have the answers you're wanting. You're not experiencing what you thought you would experience. It, things aren't laying out the way you thought they would. And they, the enemy tries to use that to steal your joy. So Paul says, be thankful in prayer. That way the enemy can't come and steal your joy. You're saying, God, I thank you. I, don't, I, I, thank you. I believe it's going to happen. I don't see it yet, but I thank you for it anyway. And God, I thank you that I know you, that I love you, that you called me your own, that you pulled me out of darkness into light. God, I thank you, Jesus, that I have relationship with you. That can drive you to do what Paul is calling us to do, to be devoted, to be watchful, to be thankful. An effective church is a praying church. For us to be effective in our community, we have to be a church that prays. We have to be a church that says we are united. That's why Paul said you have to be bound together in love because Jesus said where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. What you agree upon on earth will be agreed upon in heaven. And so he's saying for that to happen, you have to love each other. You have to agree with one another and then you need to pray. That's why as a church starting in the first Wednesday of September and for the first Wednesday of every month after that, we're devoting that night to be a, prayer, a time of prayer and worship. That we would gather together and we would say as a church, we're going to pray for our neighborhood, we're going to pray for our families, we're going to pray for our community, and we're going to worship God together. Because we need to be a church that prays together. We need to be a church that's effective, and an effective church is a praying church. Paul says in this one verse, you may know what it means to be free, but that knowledge should not be kept secret. He touted before that there were other teachers that were always talking about hidden things, the mysteries that you don't know about, right? And he's always telling, he's telling them, no, if you have Jesus, you have everything. But now that you have everything, you should go and share that with people. You should go tell them about it. It should not be your best kept secret that you love Jesus. It should not be your mystery to keep silent and hidden away. God has given you something. In fact, the Bible says that he's planted in something inside of your heart that it, when it grows and blossoms, it would bear fruit. Well, it needs, to, it needs to come up and bear fruit out of you. It needs to grow out of you. That way, the way you do that is by speaking to others, by encouraging, by loving, by praying, and asking the Lord to reach those who don't know him. We need to be a people that prays, pray for others that they would know Jesus. And not just pray, but Paul also says, let your actions demonstrate it. This is why Paul wrote, being unified in the body, being made new in Christ, and not adding other things to Jesus that would distract from Jesus, because he knew that we need to be a people that pray. In verse 3 it says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make, make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Not only should we be praying for those who need to know Jesus, but we should be praying for those who are actively sharing their faith about Jesus. Do you pray, God help 
help my wife share your gospel today? Do you pray, God, help my children be your light in dark places today? Do you pray, Jesus, help those in my church be a witness to where, God, you've planted them? We should be a people that are not only praying for salvation for those who don't know Jesus, but praying for those who are sending the message. God, that way, their hearts are open and their hearts are ready to to deliver. We need to be people that say, God, we believe in the power of prayer, and if we will do it, you will do it. If we will pray and seek your face, God, you will pour out your heart, your blessing upon others. And not just praying for pastors, because all of us are called to speak the truth of who Jesus is in our lives. I I want your prayers. I covet your prayers. I need them more than ever. Uh, Our family has been going through sickness now for about two weeks, and we need it out of our house. Uh, You can pray for healing. We We need your prayers for healing in our home. But also, I want you to be praying for one another. Praying that that we would be effective witnesses because you have a circle of influence that I do not have. God has placed you in your workplace to influence those who ride around you, right? I don't have access to them, but you do, right? Kids, you you have access in your schools. You have become a place of influence in your friends that I'm not gonna have influence in. So God is saying to you, I want to bless you. I want you to be strong and courageous. Know who I am and share who I am with people who don't know me. God is wanting us to pray like we've never prayed before. To be an effective people in sharing our faith. Paul, he says, I'm here in chains. He's in prison. But the chains couldn't stop him from getting the word out. For Paul, he had limitations. I mean, literally, he was in prison because uh, because he was sharing the gospel of Jesus. He was locked up because he was sharing the gospel, and he had chains that restricted him from doing, doing everything he needed to do to share the gospel. He said he would much rather see them face to face, but because of his chains, he couldn't, and he had to write a letter. You know, you and I, we have chains as well that the enemy tries to tug on to stop us from sharing the gospel. Sometimes our chains look like fear. Sometimes our chains look like a lack of boldness or a lack of security in who we are in Christ. Sometimes there's, uh, there's shame that says, I-, I can't talk to them about Jesus. I, I-, I struggled with what they're struggling with. I-, I used to do what they're doing. How-, how could I ever tell them about Jesus? And he tries to use shame to stop us as a form of a chain to hold us back from sharing the gospel. Paul's saying, don't don't let the chain stop you. Get the word out anyway. God is more powerful than your fear, more powerful than your shame, more powerful than any lack of boldness or a form of insecurity in who you are in Jesus. He is saying, I have given you the ability, despite your limitations, to share the good news because I've put it inside of you. If you have it, you have the light. Light always overpowers darkness. In verses 5 and 6, Paul shifts his focus from prayer to action in daily life. This is what he says. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. What, is, what does Paul mean about uh, with out, with the word outsiders? Most of us would just think um, those who are non-believers, 
right? People who don't confess Jesus. But actually, it goes beyond that because in rabbinical code, they would talk about outsiders as anybody who did not believe real doctrine or true doctrine. So that, that goes beyond just those who don't confess God, but those who confess a different God, those who confess a different Jesus, those who, who practice a different religion altogether. Paul is still saying, be wise. Ask for wisdom on how you interact with those who, who don't know Jesus the way you know Jesus. Do you know anybody in your life who, who might be following something that is not Jesus? And, and, and your, your initial intention is like, man, you don't know nothing. We're tired of you. I don't want to talk to you. Get out of my life. You know, stop knocking on my door on Saturday morning. You know what I mean? You know who I'm talking about? There are people that, uh, that, are, that are different, that believe differently from us. And Paul is saying, don't be tired of them. Don't push them away. Ask for wisdom and how you should speak with them. Being wise in how you use your time. He's saying this, you are given an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with people. You need to be asking that the Holy Spirit would give you wisdom in that moment. I, I know that uh, for a while there, we would have a lot of Jehovah Witnesses that come knock on our door. And uh, for a while there, I thought, man, I'm just going, I'm going to tell them how it is. Man, you don't know Jesus. Jesus is not an archangel. He's not a created being. All these things, right? What did I do? I just pushed them away. They don't know Jesus because of what I did or the wise counsel that I had in my own self, in my own knowledge. I wasn't going to change their heart in that moment. What I should have done is said, Jesus, how should I respond in this situation? What, what should I do to show your love and care for people? despite the, the fact that they believe differently than me. And I don't know what I would have done. But I know this, the, the way I did act didn't help them at all. So Paul is saying, use wisdom. Ask for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. In any interaction that you have with believers uh, who believe something different or non-believers, ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom on how you interact with people. Because it might be their only chance to see Jesus. Our time is short, so we need to use our time wisely. Jesus, he established the church to be his witness in the world, but it's not just the church corporately, it's the church individually. You know that you and I are the church together, and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, which means you carry the Holy Spirit as the form of the church. The body is, the Bible says, a tabernacle or the church to the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying, as a church, we, you and I, are called to be witnesses. Many times, or how many times have you heard people, and we talked about this last series, about people who say, yeah, I, uh, I, I, could, I could love Jesus, I could serve Jesus, but his people are all jacked up. I, don't, I mean, I can't stand these, they say they're Christians, but they don't act like Christians. And, and, and our witness uh, gives God a bad reputation. And I know we, we talked about, look, we're in process and we're, God is changing us and he's making us more like Jesus. Uh, but that cannot be an excuse for treating people poorly and robbing people of the opportunity to know Jesus because we're going through stuff. Paul is saying, remember, you've put on the new self. So take off the old junk and put on the new stuff. Just as easy as it is to take off a jacket and put on another one. He's saying in those moments... 
You need to put on the new self and walk in the newness of who Jesus is in your life so that you can be a strong witness to others, so that people can know Jesus because our time is short. We can't, we can't use immaturity as believers as an excuse for not being able to represent God well. He's given us his grace, his mercy to walk in obedience. Yes, God's grace covers us. He covers our failures. But to remain, to remain in despair and in sin only hurts the testimony of God's goodness in our life and our salvation. Say we can say that we belong to Jesus and he has transformed us and we are new. But when we continue to go back to the things we know we should not, we are only tainting the name of Jesus. And we need to be a people that says, I am made new, so I am not going back to the things I used to go back to, the things I used to chase, my old life. I'm not going to go back anymore because I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I need to be wise about how I interact with people because time is short. And I need to be someone who reflects the light of Jesus. Paul's saying you need to be wise and you need to make most of your time. And when we're watchful in prayer, and we have, when we combine that with wisdom, then we will seize every opportunity that God presents us to share the good news with others. Do you know if you're praying that people would be saved, that God would use you to, to bring the good news to Jesus, and then you ask for wisdom when those moments hit, that God would give you those opportunities? You ask, I want, how, do, how do people come to know Jesus? Well, are you praying that they come to know Jesus? And then are you being wise in every interaction with them? When that happens, the kingdom of God will be opened up into their hearts, into their lives. That's why Paul says, be watchful in prayer and be wise in your interactions. This, this wisdom Paul mentions here isn't just to look for opportunities. Sometimes we think that we're looking for opportunities to, to be a good Samaritan, to serve others, and that's good. But we need to remember that first and foremost, we are ambassadors or agents of evangelism of the good news of Jesus. It isn't just enough to say, here's some bread. It is here to say, here's some bread in the name of Jesus. I serve you, I love you because of Jesus, not because I'm a good person. Anytime that we do something good and we don't tell people why we're doing it, we're stealing the glory from God. We are saying, I'm good, I do it, I love people, I'm a good person. Because that's what people see. When they see you serve them and love them, but you don't tell them why you're doing it, they think, well, there are good people out there. And they don't ever give glory to God for the one who's provided for their needs. Because it's God who put, you, put uh, their need in your heart, and you need to tell them about it. You need to tell them it's because of Jesus. It's not my good deeds. It's because Jesus loves you. Verse 6 says this, let your, speech al- let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Not only should we be praying and looking for opportunities to share our faith, but when we do, we should know how to do it. We should know how to share our testimony. We, we should be able to deliver it with the same passion that we experienced when we found Jesus. Have you ever encountered somebody who's sharing their testimony or may not know how to, and they're like, yeah, you know, I used to be dead. <laughs> yeah, I was messed up. My life was pretty jacked up. It was, it was pretty bad, but then I found Jesus. Things got better. You know? 
There's no life in that. There's no passion in that. What you said, you should be saying, hey, man, I used to be jacked up. I was messed up. I was addicted. I was bound, man. I was lost. And the Son of God came and brought me life. He took me from death to life. He brought me from darkness to light. Come on, somebody. When you talk like that, when you share your testimony that way, and you bring hope to somebody, then somebody's interested in what you got to say. We know that we should share the good news of Jesus, but we allow the enemy to intimidate us, tug on those fears that are bound on us, and say, oh, I can't share that, or I'm going to be quiet, I need to be timid. When God says, you are a roaring lion, you need to be out there and speak the truth of who Jesus is in your life. You have to. Are you excited about knowing Jesus? Then live that excitement. People need to see that there is life inside of you. People need to know that you have been set free, man. Are you excited that you're no longer addicted to the drugs that ruled your life? Are you excited that you're no longer addicted to the alcohol that told you what to do and when to do it? Then tell people about it. Say, man, I am set free in Jesus' name. I've been made new. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Jesus. That's what, that's what it means to be seasoned with salt. We need to, we, we need to be a little salty in, in a biblical sense. You know, that's something else nowadays, something else. But we need to be salty. We need to let people know that we got a little spice in our life. We got a little flavor. We got a little something that's going on inside of us because Jesus has rescued us. Our speech should be gracious with those who don't know Jesus and add flavor to when we tell them about Jesus so that they might be open to Jesus. People need to know that they can be set free. And when we tell them, yeah, yeah, I I used to do that, but I don't do that anymore. Well, is there life? Is there freedom? I need some hope to grab onto. Let me see the hope inside of you that I can grab onto. Come on. Paul's saying to us today that as believers, our mission is the same as Jesus' mission, to seek and save those who are lost. And we are the church. And some people would say it's our duty. It's our duty to share the gospel. But I think it goes beyond that. It is our honor to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. It is a privilege for me to tell somebody about Jesus, to get the opportunity to say, look, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know where you're at, but I know Jesus can change you. I know Jesus can minister to you. I know Jesus can change your life. It's an opportunity, and it's an honor to share the good news of Jesus with people. Not just corporately, because sometimes we think, well, I just got to invite friends to church, and, and pastor will do it. And I tell you, if you invite your family and your friends, I will give them an opportunity to know Jesus. I'm not going to miss an opportunity to say, do you want to know Jesus? But God has also put it inside your hearts individually to share the good news of Jesus. It's not so much about what the church does or the programs that people lean on to minister to people. God is calling us, you and me, to be the hands and feet. Does God use the church? Of course he does. But he doesn't just just use the corporate church. He wants to use you. And in fact, I told you, verses 7 through 17, Paul does a lot of individual shout-outs. And I believe that it illustrates the importance of individuals as he wraps up this letter. Paul Paul uses 10 verses 
to talk about 10 individuals and tell them who, you, who they are. He tells us who they are. I, I've often wondered if God's word is inspired, that every word that's in the Bible God wanted us to read, why would he then use 10 verses to talk about people we don't know? And not to say that they're like, so-and-so did this. It's like, hey, this guy's an awesome person. Hey, this person loves me. This person's my, my cellmate, right? He does all of these things. And it made me wonder, God, why are you wasting space? Unless there's a purpose in seeing these individuals. I believe that Paul is saying and he's solidifying the importance of individuals in God's plan for the church. In these 10 verses, these men and women all played an important role in the kingdom of God. And God wanted us to know uh, that he not only saw their contribution, but he wanted us to remember them as well. Sometimes we think that we get lost in what the church is doing and that we don't matter. God is saying, and he's given us the example in these verses, that he sees your effort, he sees what you're doing, and he recognizes you. And he's saying to, to us this morning, these are people that God wanted to say, I know what you've done, I see your contribution, and I want the world to know your names. I want the world to remember who you are. And so these are the names that Paul writes down in these seven ver or ten verses. He says, Tachicus, he says this, is, he's an encourager. Onesimus, he's a beloved brother. Artuchus, uh, I don't know how to say his name, was a fellow prisoner. And Mark was one who took care of Paul. And Justice was a comfort to Paul. And Epaphras was the one who struggled in his prayers for others that they would mature in the faith. And he says, Luke, he's, the great, he's a physician and he's a writer. You should know him. And uh, Demas is the one who is traveling with Luke. And Nympha is the one who's opened up her home for a small group. Can you, can you say amen to that? That God is recognizing somebody who opens their home for a small group. He says she's got a, a home in her church and, and God wants to bless her. And, and uh, Archippus, he's the one who's called into ministry. Why is it important that, that Paul mentions all of their names? Because God wants us to know this morning that our individual efforts to share the good news with others is vitally important. And he sees the effort and he knows our names. If he were to write the letter today, he would write, Joaquin, man, I see what you're doing. I see how you're leading your family and keep it up. Right? He would write down, Sam, I see the effort that you put in week in and week out, and it's not missed. Esther, I see the heart you have for people, and God wants to bless you. He would write these things to us to encourage us that God sees your effort. God sees your heart. God sees your desire for people to know Jesus. And he's saying, don't give up yet. Don't stop now. I have a plan for you. If you'll just be devoted to prayer. If you'll be watchful. He sees your effort. And he wants you to know this morning that it's not in vain. Don't be discouraged. Seek Jesus. Believe that those who are in your life that need to know Jesus are going to come to know Jesus. And keep praying. Keep seeking. Keep asking and waiting for the answer to come. And then take action when that door is open. When someone asks you, why do you have the hope that you have? You can tell them, because it's Jesus who took me. 
and change my life. And I want you to know who Jesus is too. I just feel that so heavily in my heart this morning. God is wanting us to be a church that is effective. We need to be a people that is effective. And God has given us plenty of space here in this house for loved ones to come and sit beside us. Every empty chair is your loved one who should be in the house of God. I want you to work. I want you to strive. I want you to be diligent and devoted and being watchful because God is going to do something in these days that is going to shake us the things that we thought that were impossible, God is going to make possible. When we begin to be a people that say, God, I need you to move like never before. God, I need you to work like you've never worked before, Jesus. My heart is de desiring for you to move. God is telling us today, I see you. I love you. Keep going. Keep running this race. God was willing to use 10 verses to talk to ten, about 10 individuals in their efforts in the kingdom of God to demonstrate the importance we have as believers to do our part. If God has placed something in your heart today, he's placed something in your heart to the king, for the kingdom, to work for the kingdom, and you don't see the church doing it, maybe God's put it inside of you so that you would do it. Don't just say, well, the church isn't doing this, the church doesn't do that. We don't need to have programs for everything. We need to have people for everything. You're saying, man, so-and-so's not here today. I wonder if the pastor's going to call him. Maybe you should be the one who's calling him. It's hard for me sometimes to see up here and say, oh, so-and-so's not here. right?" But you would know because they sit next to you. Maybe God would say, hey, why don't you give them a call? Say, hey, I love you. I miss you. Are you okay? Do you need anything? Where are you at? We just want, we're just showing some, some concern. Maybe God has put that in your heart so that you can do it. Finally, Paul concludes the chapter and the whole book, and he says this, remember my chains, and grace be with you. He's saying this, even though, thank you, even though I'm in chains, I'm still seeking to fulfill the kingdom. I'm still seeking to fulfill the will of God in my life. He's saying, if I can be doing the will of God despite my chains, then what can you do despite yours? Don't let fear stop you. Don't, let, don't be intimidated. You don't need to know the entire Bible to tell people about Jesus. Just tell people what God has done in your life. He says, remember my chains, but they don't hold me back. And be, let grace be the thing that carries you. Continue in prayer and let, let, the, let the work get done. This letter of Colossians is wrapped up in these verses, putting them and us in an ultimate call to help people find Jesus. He says, we see Jesus for who he is, so we point people to him. We don't distract, we don't add things to Jesus so that we can point people to him. We put on the new self so that we can point people to him. We stay united in love. We're bound together so that we can point people to him. Everything that we do should be point people to Jesus. I ask the question, what does it mean to end with the beginning in mind? It means this. 
that how we end things could lead to someone's beginning with Jesus. How we end that conversation could lead somebody to Jesus. How we end our work day could lead somebody to Jesus. How we, interact, or how we end that interaction with someone could lead somebody to Jesus. Our everyday encounters could be the beginning of new life for somebody. So we need to end everything we do with the hope of someone's beginning in mind. The beginning of, of walking with Jesus. We must end our doing, our speaking, our connecting with people, our leading with the, with the intention that it might be the beginning of someone's journey with Jesus. So this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give an opportunity for those who may not know Jesus to know Jesus this morning. Jesus is the one. He's the Son of God, the Redeemer of the world. He paid his, his life. He spilt his blood so that we could know him, so that we could live free. He's the one who comes and he pours out his life for us so that we can be reconciled to God. We're a people that are broken. We're a people that are sinful. And our sin separates us from God. But Jesus came to close the gap and say, I'm going to bring these people back together again. 